Are you going to send me a bill for this therapy session? I don't, I don't I'm, I'm worried. <laughs>Hey guys, welcome back to the Result Junkies podcast. It's been an interesting week in terms of news. It hasn't been a bombshell week, but there's just this interesting weave of stories out there. And you've heard Paul and I talk about layoffs for the past handful of months uh, and uh, layoffs.fyi, which has been a uh, sort of a cornerstone for us to find what's out there. Um, and it's an interesting little matrix. We'll get into that in just a second. But uh, Mr. Singh, how are you? Uh, how are you doing this morning? I'm you know, living the dream, man. Uh, you know, vacations coming up or although actually by the time this publishes, uh, vacation will be done. Yeah. You know, I'm excited, excited. Uh, you know, it's a good, it's a good day today. <laughs> I love let it. me rephrase. Let me rephrase. It's so early in the day that nobody's ruined it yet. <laughs> Perfect. That's what we love to hear. It can only go downhill from here is yeah. essentially what I heard you say, if I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, no, life, life's good. We are uh, on the verge of going down to only one child in diapers. We will see. It might take a couple weeks. That's the life I'm in right now, man. It's just your parenting adventures with how many kids you guys had in such a short period of time literally gives me cold sweats. <laughs> so just, just throwing that out there for folks who are just tuning in show at resultsjunkies.com is how you find us, email us or uh, send us comments there. It'd be super awesome. He is at Paul Singh on all the social media platforms. I am at Pizza In Motion. And in whatever app you're listening, there's a little button to rate and review the podcast, which is the single best thing you can do to help us grow the show. So looping back on this list, you know, I, I've, I've been keeping an eye on you know, keep an eye on layoffs.fyi. And, you know, I mean, it, it's, I think what I said to you in Texas, it's a very eclectic mix of companies that are laying people off. And some of them are ones that well, that don't surprise me. So a company like LendingTree, lending is down, interest rates are up, like that that doesn't surprise me. I would say I was a little surprised that companies like Indeed and Glassdoor um, were laying off as many people as they were because I still feel like it's a pretty active job market in certain areas. It's just not active everywhere. It feels like people are moving by process of osmosis from where they are to, to other places. And then there's a smattering of companies that, that you and I know the names of, Dropbox, Red Hat, you know, BuzzFeed closed their entire news division. So just a really uh, weird mix. And and I sort of settled on uh, Clubhouse as this interesting social experiment that I just still can't really wrap my arms around just because you and I were so engaged on it. And I think when I saw that they laid off half their employees, and I hate to say it this way because I'm not trying to talk badly about a company, but I just sort of looked up and said, it really took them this long to do massive layoffs. Yeah, yeah, you know, I... I I'm with you. I don't really like to armchair quarterback somebody else's business from the outside. The answer always looks so obvious from the outside. But if I'm being really candid, I think I'm like a normal iPhone user in the sense that I download apps and 
you know, I might use them and then I don't really, you just sort of forget about them. If you think about it, like the latest versions of iOS, it, it's like smart enough to surface the apps that you use and then like the other ones just sort of disappear, right? right? But at some point in the past couple months, I don't remember exactly when, I do distinctly remember explicitly deleting the Clubhouse app. Like it was that bad. And I don't know, I, I again, I feel bad armchair quarterbacking it, but at the same time, like, I don't know. It just, it, I, it just went so far off the rails. I mean, you and I used to use it all the time and, and all that, but then all of a sudden it just seems like it got taken over with info marketers and I don't know, it, it, just something about, I've never built a consumer app, but it almost feels like in hindsight that like they didn't have the right team in place to really think about personalization. And I just remember getting so annoyed with all the alerts and all that stuff. So anyway, I hate to say it, but you know, I think everybody saw that that one coming. <laughs> yeah, and it's such an interesting, odd, like you said, just it just uh, social experiment is a word I keep coming back to because you and I have seen social media platforms, quote unquote, fail. And it's still unclear to me that Clubhouse has failed just because they have so much money left in the bank. They have years of runway. Um, just uh, they raised, you know, whatever, more than a hundred million bucks from you know top tier investors. So they've got time. I just, I mean, when I think about social media platforms that have died in the past, they generally die because somebody else eats their lunch. I can't really figure out who ate Clubhouse's lunch because there isn't really somebody who's killing it in this sort of audio medium. Like I remember at the time that Clubhouse launched the All In podcast, David Sachs has an investment in a, a brand called Call In, which is sort of this blend of the podcast world and this you know Clubhouse mentality of having these conversations. And Call In was supposed to be a viable competitor for Clubhouse. And Call In really hasn't developed anything meaningful yet. Again, not criticizing their business model, just think about where they where they fit in the scheme of things. And I think it's, I, I think two things, first off, it's interesting to me that this social experiment of what Clubhouse and, uh, and Colin and some of these others were supposed to be, hasn't really come to fruition after an immense amount of popularity at the initial outset of Clubhouse. And I think it also really speaks to how much oxygen companies like TikTok are taking, because I don't think it's a one for one trade off, but you and I both know there's only so many hours in your workday. Yep. You're going to sleep for, if I'm lucky, six hours. Yep. Um, it was only three last night. But, you know, you, we all have the same amount of hours of work, each work time, content time each day. And with the rise in TikTok usage, it tells me that some significant group of people are not putting that time into something like Clubhouse, but are putting it into things like TikTok. And I think that there's a there's a message in there somewhere that I, I don't have the the perfect answer for, but it talks about, you know, our behavior and this interesting arc that Clubhouse had that was just so meteoric and now surprisingly brief. Yeah. Look, we're we're both, you know, we, what do we know, right? We're just sitting in basements here or whatever. But but here's the thing is like I, I think the rise of these voice platforms, these conversational platforms, I, I think it was like sort of a um, phenomenon right around COVID. You know, when the lockdown started, everybody mm -hmm. moved to online, everybody, you know, started walking laps in their neighborhood. And, you know, and, and, and so that it was like a, it was a phenomenon. But I, I think now, now that we're kind of largely wide open again, it's hard to kickstart these networks. I mean, I think the most active one of the these platforms that remains is the Twitter Spaces product. That's still alive? Yeah, I mean, I, I was actually just, I just checked it. Yeah, like for whatever reason, wow. it does not show when you go to like, yeah, you have to go over to your timeline 
on your phone and it shows at the top there. Interesting. Yeah. So, okay. So that's, I'll take your word for it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's there. And I think, you know, they, they can probably, they're probably the most active right now just because the users are already on Twitter everywhere, everywhere else. It's, it's just hard. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, if I had to guess though, it's like at the time it was, you know, like clubhouse is sitting on so much cash, right? Like at the time you see this meteoric rise, you know, nobody really knew what COVID was going to be and how long it was going to be, but everybody pumped all this money in. But, uh, you know, the, the, the other side of this question though, is, is at what point do investors go back and say, Hey, enough's enough. Cause like, there is a, there is this like sort of, what's the word, like um, implicit story of like, hey, if you just stay alive, if the company just stays alive long enough, they'll find something, they'll pivot to something, you know, but, but at what, where do you draw the line? I, I, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know. This is, this is like a unique situation, right? Because like you and I, when we're the kind of companies we might be investing in, the runway is maybe a max of two years, you know, uh, I, I, like, I, it, but this is like a different beast. I mean, these guys have so, it seems like they have so much cash. Uh, the runway is so long that like, I don't know. Like, I, I just wonder what that boardroom looks like, you know, especially, <laughs> and, and, and here's why I bring this up because like, and we, not to change topics, but just to plant the seed in case we get there afterwards or after this topic, it's like, you know, that, art, that email I forwarded you about possible layoffs uh, in the wider VC market, you know, like limited partners are starting to kind of clam up a little bit. And so- if you're a general partner and you've got a bunch of cash locked up in this one company, like at what point do you go back and say, Hey, enough's enough. We need to recycle that money and, and put it to work somewhere else. Cause, cause there's this pressure that maybe other LP money is not coming. I, I don't know. It's a really interesting, it's a really interesting thing to think about though. Anyway, where do you want to take this? Cause I'm, I'm starting to get fired up. <laughs> Starting to get fired up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you know the thing about it though is like when you think about all these layoffs, you look at I'm looking at this like layoffs.fii page right now, and you know it is unfortunate because all of these numbers are people, right? I mean, I want to I respect that, and you know it's it's got to be tough when you're on the other side of that. So I totally respect that, and I want to be you know I want to be like empathetic for those people. But when you zoom out and you look at this, it's really just everything re uh, returning to the mean. So what I mean by that is that like if you if you plot out e-commerce growth, if you plot out headcount, if you plot out just if you plot out the revenue graphs and the uh, headcount charts uh, for a lot of companies over the last you know five years, you absolutely see this big jump around COVID, particularly when it came to like D to C and B to B and all that stuff, right? And so what they do, they hired a lot of people to run those things, and it's obvious. Now, when you like look at it, like when you look at the entire five-year picture, you can see the mean at which, you know, most industries grew. You can see the headcount. Then you see that big bump when COVID started. But now on the other side of that, three years past the pandemic and all that stuff, you start to see all these things are really about sort of coming back down to the mean. So in other words, if you were to extrapolate, you know, the revenue charts and the headcount charts for all these companies on whatever whatever trajectory they were on, if you were to extrapolate them from 2017 to February of 2020, if you just extrapolate that line all the way out to now, everything's just returning back to the mean, meaning it's just coming back down to that trend line. Again, I'm not trying to be like 
unempathetic to these people that are that are affected. But really what we're seeing now is just everything sort of settling back in. And it's just, I think it's happening so drastically and quickly and condensed, you know, like right now, because you also have this simultaneous, you know, inflation happening. You got the, the, the war, you got all this stuff happening. It's just, I know I sound like, oh, I told you so, right? I didn't know. Nobody knew, right? I mean, we all, all of us were like, I, I, well, I won't speak for you, but I'll just say like when the growth numbers started hitting, you know, back in 2020 for, across the entire portfolio, <laughs> I know I did never think uh, like, oh, when's the, when's the train going to end? It's like, whoa. I, I distinctly remember like, now, you know, it's, you kind of like look back, you're like, God, what was I thinking when I said that? There was a, I remember one of the episodes we did maybe a year ago, I said something like, maybe it's longer than that, but you know, there was a statement that there was something like 10 years of e-commerce growth condensed into like one year or something like that. It was something like that. And one of the episodes we talked about, you know, a year or two ago, and it's like, I, I remember like thinking about that. I'm like, oh man, now nobody's going to like go back to the store. It's accelerated everything. Right. But mm, no, actually turns out people, that was a temporary thing. Everybody's kind of going back to the norm. Anyway, I don't know where I'm going with that other than to say, I just think that everything's sort of uh, uh, coming back down to the mean, back to the averages, back to the norm. And it'll be interesting to see like where it all settles out. I mean, I don't, it might go down a little further, but I don't think it's going to go that much past the mean. I, I thought we were going to move on to this tweet that you shared and we probably will, but I, I you said something that just makes me think, um, and it's actually tied to one of the things that you, you sent over as we were talking in pre-show. And I, I can't say I disagree completely with your assertion about this reversion to the norm. The only reason why I would say, I think it's probably a bit more than that is I feel like I feel like the pendulum is swinging further to the conservative investing side, um, and I think you and I see this frequently, though, where, where the, the the corrections are uh, you know, can be massive swings. And I have seen and heard plenty of evidence of late stage fundraising just drying up completely. And you noted in one of the things that you sent over earlier about how YC had laid off their late stage team as part of their round of layoffs. And it, that's causing a tremendous amount of disruption that is probably more aggressive than where we were in 17. And I think you and I would both agree, like, you know, in the in the heart of the bubble there, there were way too many companies getting funded. All the SPAC that got spun up that, you know, tried to take companies public, the ones that spun up that never actually ended up funding a company. But right now, I think there's there's a real what's the right word? I think there's a real risk to the midterm health of of the startup community and call it the next two to five years if founders can't reliably understand what it takes to get late stage funding. And I'm not saying that means they can get late stage funding, but if you can't define who's going to take you from really awesome growth to an IPO, if that's the path you're choosing, or some sort of massive acquisition right before an IPO, how do you plan out the early stages? And I think that's the part that I struggle with a little bit right now for for startups and founders that we're trying to figure out is, how do you map out that path when, and letters don't always perfectly fit this, but if you're D or E rounds, those late rounds where you're trying to you know get to some sort of exit, public, private, whatever, if you don't know what those look like, what do you do in the early rounds? And I think you know, obviously, if you don't have a plan for that, then you're proceeding at your own peril. Yeah, I mean, this is a good question, I think, or a good good topic. I think the, yeah, I, okay, so just to be really direct, I think the answer here is, is that for founders that do want to raise money, 
more than ever, you have to think of it as your last round. Like you, you just can't, you just can't plan on the, you know, series D series E or whatever. And, and, and people are obviously going to disagree with me on that. And that's, that's totally okay. And, and, and I'll admit by the way, also that I've said many times on here that founders shouldn't say that to, to, to investors, but you should totally behave that way. You should totally behave that way. Again, you don't have to say it, but you should be behaving that way because look, the IPO window's closed right now. I mean, it, you know, here we are in the almost, almost the middle of 2023. You and I can't predict the future, but like, I don't see the IPO windows opening for at least another year, maybe even more like two. And even when they do open, <laughs> nobody's going to want to be the first one. <laughs> so, so I think that, um, I, I think everybody more than ever should be behaving as if the last money you raised was actually the last money you raised. And I think you have to slash and burn the costs, you know, if, if necessary, or, or you just have to get like realistic about your growth. I mean, I think profitability is the key now. Like if, when, when we were in that zero interest market two, three, four years ago, it was growth at all costs because all of us could just keep yeah. funding that. Now there's really no, that's not in sight. I don't know that we'll see that again for another five, 10 years, who knows, if at all. And now it's kind of more about profitability, you know? And I think, I think if you're really thinking about investors, I think it's finding that magic Goldilocks in between balance of the right amount of growth and the right amount of profitability. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it's as simple and as hard as that. And I have one other question to this. Um, when you think about the, just like the way things are coming together, if you think about SPACs, um, and the role that they've played in the marketplace. I think there's two interesting things. For for starters, SPAC formation over the past year has been non-existent. And for, for folks who might not know, SPACs uh, are these special purpose vehicles where where uh, somebody will raise money to later essentially merge, acquire a private company and take them public as opposed to a traditional IPO. Well, when they raise that money, as you well know, Paul, there's a shelf life on them identifying a company. And it's usually a year or two at, at, the, at the most for that SPAC has to identify what its acquisition target is. And knowing that there hasn't been SPAC ramp up in probably close to a year now, you've got two things. One, obviously no new SPACs are being formed, but somebody might actually want to invest in a company right now and might want to do some sort of late stage funding. But if their funding's already tied up in a SPAC, they have to wait for that SPAC to expire before they can really do something with it because they've already contributed. So I do think there's this interesting, like, is that is all that money going to go to the sidelines when those SPACs expire? Is it going to come into the market? We don't really know. It's a good question. I, I, I'm sure somebody's put a number out there on how much money's locked up in these SPACs. I, I don't know it offhand, but um, it, okay, if we're just speculating here, whatever that number is, like I'm not in any SPACs, but I'll just kind of talk as if I was. If I knew that all that money was about to get unlocked and I then like look around and I look at the market as it is right now, I'm not investing it again. <laughs> like right now, I'd rather get it out of the SPAC and I'd go put it into a, you know, a money market paying 4.8, 4.9% and uh, I'm good. Thank you very much. <laughs> so, so I don't think it's going back out to the market right now. When you can make 5% guaranteed in your bank account, it's not, it, the, the money's not going to work. <laughs> I think you're right. I think you're right. And I think that's, that's a, a part of all this stuff that the market, uh, indigestion is probably a good word. Like the, the market 
for startups and startup funding has to work through this indigestion before it gets back to some whatever the new normal is going to be, which to your point could be the old normal. But there's still, you know, if, if this is like the cow with however many stomachs they have, five stomachs, like maybe we're on the second or third stomach, but we're sure as heck not on the fifth stomach. And we all know that what happens after the fifth stomach isn't pretty. So it, it does feel like there's some there's some room to work here. Your analogies are the best. I don't even know where that, like how we got to cow shit on this one, but here we are. <laughs> <laughs> but the uh from clubhouse to cow dung in six degrees yeah that's right six degrees of separation <laughs> yeah and you know what we may just have our episode title that, that, that's it <laughs> uh, like i think this is the thing right like what we're talking about here is the stuff that founders should know but really nobody takes the time to talk to them about and 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 maybe they don't realize they should be googling it too but you know i'm a real firm believer that if you if you want to run a business or raise money or any of that stuff, you kind of have to understand a little bit about finance. You don't have to know everything. You obviously, not everybody needs to be a CFO, right? But for example, if you're a, a startup founder that's thinking about raising money, you kind of need to start with Google and get a high level understanding of where that money comes from and what the incentives are for everybody. Because if you understand somebody's incentives, you, you know what they're going to do. And in this case, you know, Given what's happening across the macro economy, you're you back to the, what made you start this conversation, this line of the conversation. You said you said something like you were starting to go down this thought process of like are investors getting more conservative? And the answer is definitively yes. You know, when when we were in a zero interest price market, it cost me more money to just have it have the money just sitting there in the account. Like I'm losing it right with inflation. I'm I'm, I'm losing right. it. So we we all took a lot more speculative bets. We all pushed valuations up. We all did that. And founders need to understand like part of the reason why people invest in you is because they believe in you and the idea and the whatever. But the other part is because they believe they can get a higher potential yield from you than, than the alternatives, right? Like we've said this before, like for founders, you're not trying to be the best deal that the investors ever seen. You're trying to be the least worst they've seen this week. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's it, it really comes down to that, right? Because you're ultimately trying to figure out where do you put the money to work. In this case, it's your your money can work for you just sitting in the bank and it's 100% guaranteed and it's one ATM away from from, you know, what you need it for. So, what does that mean for founders? I think you got to like quickly get unromantic about everything. And I think this applies to like all these layoffs too, right? Like I don't really like talking about all these layoffs because it's kind of doom and gloom and all that stuff. But, you know, in the context of all those layoffs and what we're talking about here, I think founders, employees, everybody needs to get unromantic real quick. And what I mean by that is, is like, you know, I know you're going to give me a hard time because you haven't done it yet, yet, but like, you know, the company that shall not be named. Well, to be candid, you know, I'm going to give you every excuse under the sun, but the reason why I just haven't said anything yet is uh, we're working on a total revamp of the marketing site and we're changing all the language uh, across the marketing site, the sales, everything. And we're going, to, we're cutting out all the cruft, all the industry jargon. And we're going with very emotional, easy to understand seventh grade level writing now. And I think that's that's like the example, I think, of what everybody should be doing right now. Like we all got away with selling next gen AI jargon, 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 like three years ago. Customers, you know, were like, okay, fine, that's cool, whatever, I'll pay it. I got budget, we're good. <laughs> now 
now you got to get unromantic and you got to get right to the point. And, um, you know, I, I think like in this environment where you got all these layoffs happening, investor money's harder to get, all this stuff, you can choose to go in blindly. <laughs> that, that certainly could be the plan. And I do think, unfortunately, a lot of people are doing that. Or you do, you do what I'm suggesting, which is like, take a good hard look at what you're doing. We, by the way, you know, one story we don't ever talk about, I, I think it's one of the most interesting parts of 500 that nobody's ever talked about. And I don't know why, but I, I, um, in our first office in Mountain View, uh, so we, mm. back in 2010, I think it was, our first office was on the top floor of 444 Castro Street in downtown Mountain View. Uh, beautiful space, beautiful area, loved that place. But we had one conference room in particular. So there were a bunch of conference rooms and it was a big open workspace for our portfolio companies and all that stuff. But there was one conference room in particular that had one-way glass on it. And that was because that particular conference room had a dual function purpose. Obviously, most of the time it was a conference room, anybody could meet in it, that sort of thing. But the other purpose of it was a one-way mirror so that people could actually watch other people use their product. Like, at least for me, the way I remember it is that like, you know, we were investing in a lot of technically savvy people who, you know, when, when you build it and you run it and all that, like, it's hard to recognize that it's possible other people don't see what you see. Right. And so we use that room in particular, I would bring founders over um, and say, okay, you sit there that we had a couch on, on the outside. So you could like sit there and watch in and, you know, I would just like go give $25 Starbucks gift cards downstairs to get people to come up and hang out for an hour. And we would just say like, Hey, we're going to put a, put you in front of a computer. Please talk out loud as you, as we show you this product or this, this website. And it was eye opening for people. Like, you know, they would write all this copy. They would put the little button over here and da da da. And then when the average Joe would sit there and look at it and they're like, I don't get what we're selling. It was just like, it was, it was like you'd, You'd blown these founders' minds. And that's what I mean yeah. by this is like, I think it's time to take a good hard look at your website and and really ask yourself, like, does this actually resonate? <laughs> and I, I would bet it doesn't. Yeah, I think the other I think the other thing I'd add in there too is not that being a founder wasn't already hard enough. And you and I have talked a bit about trying to focus on this aspect of make sure that you're raising enough money when you do go out that it could be your last round. And, and I think that's a that's a different thing for every founder. But I think to this point of for all the things that are on a founder's plate right now, um, where in the past and, and in the frenzy of them building and growing companies, maybe you or I would have said things like, you know, great, you closed your round. Now it's time to put your head down and focus on products. That's not wrong. But honestly, if you're a founder today and you're not thinking about what the what the financial arc of the company looks like for two, three, four years and what you might need. And to, to something you and I talked about a couple episodes ago about you building a relationship with a bank for a potential line of credit in the future. I think founders have to be more aware of what it's going to take to survive in this financial environment, setting aside the, th the thriving part. Like you just have to have options. Yeah. And I think with all the other balls that founders had to juggle, that one's got to be in the mix right now. And it's probably got to be in the mix for a good while. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to articulate this, but I think that, you know, for the longest time, there's always been this divide between venture funded and quote unquote lifestyle businesses, you know, and, and, and in a nutshell, 
uh, and tell me if you disagree, but in a nutshell, it's always been the venture guys sort of looking down their nose at those lifestyle guys. <laughs> oh, you're just doing <laughs> a little bit of growth, right? And the and the and the lifestyle guys being like, uh, I you know I wish I could raise money sometime. You know, like like they it was almost like they, it was just like they were on two different sides of the fence, and they just I don't know, it was just very divided. And that like more and more over the last year or two. I've just been sort of like gravitating towards this idea that like bootstrapped companies should embrace some of the some of the more relevant parts of venture backed playbooks. And what I mean by that is is that like 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 it's hard for venture backed companies to embrace the bootstrapped mentality. Like that is a really hard change to go from whoa, I just got a wire transfer in for a million dollars, let's go. You know, I don't care if the lunch is $87, let's go. It's hard to go from that to, gosh, how do we get to 30% profitability every month? Like that's hard. But I do think you can go the other way where you can, if you can embrace, the, if you start with that bootstrap mentality and you embrace it, then you start to look at some parts of the venture guy's playbook and you're like, well, what are the parts that make sense to me? Like, you know, I think that there's something really fascinating to that. And that's, that's what I hope, I hope as we kind of like start to talk more about, you know, the 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 company that will not be named. Like, I, I hope we like talk about some of those things. I'm I'm curious if people want to learn about certain things. Like, they'll send in questions or whatever. But I don't know. I just there's something about this. Like, where it's like, how do you show bootstrapped companies that they can embrace some parts of the venture playbook, particularly as it relates to like customer growth, lead acquisition, that sort of stuff. And then like for you and me as investors, like maybe that means we if that were to happen, maybe that's what we're starting to adjust our investments towards, right? Like, it's like, if I can make 5% of my bank, but maybe make 10% in terms of distributions annually, like that could be kind of cool. That wasn't in vogue. I mean, I, uh, I don't know why Indy.VC shut down way back when, but I assume it's because like the returns from that particular model weren't as good, you know, given the zero interest rate environment, right? But now I wonder if it would do well. Right. NDVC, if you remember, was like that firm that did term sheets where, um, you know, they would buy the equity, but it gave the founder a financial incentive to pay distributions to get to, to basically unwind it, um, which was unheard of in the venture world. Like, I guess what I'm saying is like, maybe that's where we're heading. I don't know. As investors, maybe that's where we're heading, given what's happened with the interest rates out there. Well, and, and other substantive changes, because, you know, for the first time and as long as I've known you, we're having active discussions about companies coming off of the venture treadmill. Um, something that, you know, you said in, you know, 75 cities that, you know, once you're on that hamster wheel, you don't come off. And it's it's like all those things are are changing. And I think that's um, you know, it's probably probably a good place to pin it. I mean, I know we want to get into some other stuff that was on our radar in terms of layoffs and Amazon and Google and, 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 uh, and, and whether we've hit a bottom, cause I think there was an interesting tweet that you shared. So maybe we'll dig into that next week. But, uh, I think like when I'm listening to you, it's just, it's so interesting to hear you explore this thought process of, you know, maybe the new normal is companies that's that, that hop off the venture treadmill. Yeah. Maybe. I, and I don't know what it is, though. I don't know if it's a, it's probably a combination of the fact that, you know, I'm getting older, I've got kids and all that. But it could also just be like, 
somewhat getting jaded with the whole go big or go home mentality of, of traditional venture. And I, I don't know, like, I, like, I don't know what it is, but I, I definitely have sensed a shift in my own thinking over the last two or three years, but it's only obvious to me in hindsight. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see what our portfolio looks like, uh, you know, in the, over the next 10 years, you know, in terms of like shift, but yeah, there's something happening. I don't know what it is, but there's something happening there. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, there really is. Are you going to send me a bill for this therapy session? I don't, I don't I'm, I'm worried. <laughs> nah, you don't need therapy. You're headed to the islands, man. I am. I am. First trip. Uh, actually, Dana and I were talking about this uh, yesterday. It's the first trip we've taken without any kids for a week. Like it's, it's, it's wild to think about it that way. Like we've had all these young kids. I think we're done. So it's like, wow, this is cool. <laughs> we're like, are we going to be able to talk to each other for a week? <laughs> because <laughs> usually we're like sort of fighting for our lives going from nap to nap feeding to feeding diaper to diaper <laughs> next week my mother-in-law and father-in-law are going to be up here taking care of the kids and uh we're just going to be on island time wandering around st john and having a good time so <laughs> by the time this episode comes out i will have uh, obtained a nice burn and probably should be coming out of the hangover cloud so we'll see <laughs> What about you? Uh, any uh, what's coming up? Are you going to Vegas? Going somewhere else this week? I have, uh, you know, I have a handful of travel. I don't have any travel next week, but my wife doesn't listen to either of my podcasts, <laughs> so I can safely say this here. I have this dilemma, and I'm not really sure how to handle it. There's a there's a a big conference I normally go to every year. It's the National Restaurant Association show in Chicago, and I book my tickets and I booked my hotel room, and I realized this morning that's Mother's Day weekend. <laughs> Oh, thoughts and prayers, buddy. Good luck to you. Right, I need to figure out how. To, yeah, I need to figure out how to unwind that. I'm not really sure how because the folks I'm supposed to go with are only supposed to be there on Saturday, and so it's like I don't know. Anyway, these are these are the things I'm dealing with. So while you're off at, in in the islands with Dana, I will be trying to figure out how to unbuild the box that I built for my Chicago trip so that I can be home for Mother's Day because there really isn't a like, hey, honey, let's celebrate Mother's Day on Tuesday is not just not going to fly. Yeah, it's either that or you're either unwinding this or you're going to somehow convince her that Mother's Day weekend would be much better off in Chicago. And uh... <laughs> she would agree. She would agree. Uh, we just don't have babysitters. So uh, do you, could you think your you think your in-laws could come watch our kids? You know, they'll, they will. They have a um, they have such big hearts. They would always say yes. But I think they're going to be fighting for their lives. You know, four kids. I mean, my oldest and my youngest are relatively easy now, right? They're, they're, you know, the youngest is somewhat immobile and the oldest is nine. And so she's, you know, she's pretty self-sufficient. The middle two, you know, two and a half and three and a half respectively, they, (laughs) like, they are such good kids, but man, they are running a mile a minute. And it's that we're at that stage right now where you're like, you want to you want to encourage them to explore new things and you don't want to like instill your own fears and thoughts in their brain but about a hundred times a day you're thinking to yourself what convinced you to try that like why did you think that jumping <laughs> off the bookshelf onto a hardwood floor was going to turn out some other way but you can't say that <laughs> you think about it a hundred times a day <laughs> so uh, yeah but if it comes down to that Lynn and Mark will definitely say yes. You know where our house is. Just come by. Don't just do a rolling stop. Throw the kids out and just peel out before. uh... I love it. (laughs) So, (laughs) all right, man. Well, good luck to you. I hope you survive whatever decision you make for that uh, for that weekend. (laughs) 
Well, you'll know if I don't show up for the next podcast, though. Yeah. Speaking of, speaking of, I also need to like that. Just reminded me, I need to. I got a jury duty summons in the mail this uh, yesterday. My wife got one. Okay, well, I guess it's all of our zip codes here, but it so it, it's for the week of June fifth, which is also the when I'm flying our team together down in, in Florida. So I'm hoping to write a little letter to this judge and show him that him or her that uh, I had booked these tickets <laughs> weeks ago. Da, 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 da. We'll see. Uh, Good luck with that. I know. I'm I'm so nervous that we're gonna have to change this. We'll see. All right. Well, I appreciate you, man. I uh, I. I can't wait till my kids are old enough where I can just jump off to Chicago and and uh, not worry about too too much. But right now I'm in the thick of it. I think we're gonna be down you to are one, in the thick of it. Yeah, I think we're gonna be down to one kid in diapers within the next two or three months, which is really exciting to me. <laughs> it's like <laughs> my least favorite <laughs> job of dadhood is is changing out those poop shoots. You know the where you throw the diapers. Uh, I got to do it every oh, yeah. every Tuesday remember, morning, yeah. every Friday morning. It's like my least favorite thing to do, but it's on the horizon. <laughs> so anyway. All right. Godspeed. All right, man. Have a great week and I will talk to you soon. <laughs> All right, man. 